0: Working drummer. Now kick it. This is the Working Drummer Podcast, serving up perspectives, experiences, and stories from ground-level working pros. Advice, tips, and secrets on how to build a career in the music business. Hey everybody, this is Matthew Krauss, and you are listening to the podcast Working Drummer. Today my guest is drummer Jared Pope. After his thoughtful move to Nashville from his home state of California in 2012. Jared has found strong and steady work in the rock world. Over the years, Jared has and continues to earn respect among a highly reputable group of musicians within many genres that include rock, hard rock, country, and pop. In recent years, Jared has been working with the Tom Kiefer Band, the lead singer from Cinderella, as well as Damon Johnson, who's worked with Alice Cooper, Thin Lizzy, and Black Star Writers, with whom he recorded a new record, Memoirs of an Uprising. As always, you can find us at WorkingDrummer.net to find out more information about this episode and all the episodes that we've done so far in the last three and a half years. Subscribe to us on iTunes. You can find us now on YouTube. We are slowly building our library of past episodes. When you're on iTunes, please subscribe. This helps us grow. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook. If you use the hashtag Working Drummer, we'll include you on Instagram and our stories. If you want to support what Zach and I are doing here at the Working Drummer Podcast, there's a couple ways that you can do that. On the homepage of our website, workingdrummer.net, you can find a button for PayPal. There's also a button that is a link to our Patreon page. Patreon is an easy and convenient way to support the podcast on a regular basis. Donations start at a dollar and you have access to the bonus material that we're providing on a monthly basis from past guests. As always, any donation in any amount is greatly appreciated. So here you go. Here is my conversation
1: with Jared Pope. Tom is um, obviously he's had a lot of success. You know, he's he's a great writer, uh, fantastic guitar player, which a lot of people don't really aren't really hip to, you know. Hmm. He's always just been kind of recognized as the uh, voice of Cinderella. Is But he's a fantastic guitar player. And, uh, you know, his thing is it's music is the only thing that really matters. You know, everything else kind of comes, you know, with hmm. that. Hmm. Um, and granted, it helps that he's had some success. So he's able to uh, facilitate putting a band on a road with a bus and yeah. all these kind of things. Yeah. And but uh he's just he's definitely you know between him and another artist that I play for that definitely Tom is the best artist I've ever played for without a doubt hmm. um in the res- in in the sense that uh you know it, he completely trusts us to do what we do yeah amazing um you know we're we're uh we just finished a record uh, it'll be out in August hopefully <clears throat> um that uh you know we recorded right here in Nashville, and um that was a that was a whole other process as well, as far as um just kind of the way we tracked it, you know um he brought ideas in and everybody gave their input mm. uh, and it was a real laid back experience the way we did it um we did it kind of on our own terms, and that's just. Part of who he is, you know, he doesn't want to stifle the creative process. Mm-hmm. Uh, he doesn't want anybody thinking about a clock or money or, you know, we got to get out of this room in two days. Or <laughs> so it was. It was really refreshing to uh, be able to do that because you know, I know, I, I'm sure you've been in the situation where, you know, I've done a lot of records and it's always come in and hurry up, you know, get your tracks and let's get out of here That's because we got to get Nash- all these guitars. Especially Nashville, notorious. Right. I just. You know, and it, it was such a nice change of pace, really, mm-hmm. to to be able to go in and take our time and, and not be lazy about it. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I tracked everything um, probably within four to five weeks, and that's only getting together maybe once a week, though. You know what ah, I mean? So this okay. was probably about six to eight different sessions that we really put everything together, and then. Um, you know, probably about 12, 12 different days of recording. I would say, because we were getting about a song a day, a song and a half. Okay, if that makes sense. Everybody putting their parts down. Everybody was in the in the room tracking. He got us all. Uh, he bought us all uh, these incredible headphones by Blue. Um, I can I think they're called Sadies. Sounds familiar,
0: yeah. Yeah, I mean, they're
1: amazing. They're powered. They're amplified. Um, And they're just... So he bought us all these, and it was just our gift. You know, here, these are yours. You can take these when we're done. (sighs) but uh, And kind of got us a a comfortable studio vibe going on in there, so we could be on ears, as it were, like, you know, headphone mix and everybody tracking at the same time, which is great. I mean, we were just mainly going for rhythm tracks, myself, and uh, Billy Mercer is the bass player. okay. Fantastic bass player. Um, it was basically just to get those tracks initially, and then the rest of the tracking would be done at Tom's place. But um, anyway, back to what I'm back to what you were asking me about is like with Tom is it's 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 definitely just kind of a a free creative space. I mean, there's never he all he cares about is the music, and he's genuinely concerned about how we feel about what's what's happening whether it's in the studio or on the stage wherever you know he's he's almost like worried about it if you know it's it's kind of funny but I I've never really experienced an artist like that
0: I kind of wonder at some point you know somebody's going to have to make a decision about something uh whether it's a, you know a live thing or a mix or whatever and and it's going to have to come down to Tom making the decision or you know
1: it it does but surprisingly enough it's whether whether it's something that he does by convincing us it's not necessarily even that i just we we talk about it at length Mm -hmm. and we if if somebody's not happy about something it's not gonna go it just won't whether it's anybody in the group gotcha and uh and I just got to respect that. You know, I really got to respect that, that he really cares. He doesn't want to put anything out there that if I don't believe in something that I've laid down, then I'm going to say, hey, look, this is just a feel right. He's going to say, well, let's do it till it feels right to you. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's
0: just, it's just refreshing. It sounds like he's investing in you and and the, and you, the royal, you, you know, like everyone in the band in such a way that when... Things are good, things are great. When things are bad, you pull through and you, you... I mean, not things are bad, but I mean... Right. think, you know, every musical journey has its ups and downs. Absolutely. Bands have great gigs and bad gigs and travel situations that aren't always ideal. But, like, when you're committed to something and you all have a, a, the, a similar vision, you're all pointed in the same direction together. Absolutely. This
1: band, without a doubt, is... Uh he and he's very careful about that when he put this thing together um I wasn't the original drummer i wasn't he didn't even know who I was mm-hmm. um, he definitely he took his time putting it together there's, there's interesting stories about that but that's another yeah. thing but um he he knew what he was doing you know he took his time in, in putting the group together and he found like minded players that had the same vision and kind of were looking towards the future as well. I mean, it's it was tough at first. You know, they were playing rooms, and not a lot of people were coming out because everybody wants, when's Cinderella going to get back together? Well, you know, and he's really working on the brand of this group, you know, which is referred to as Kiefer Band. You know, it's a Tom Kiefer band, right. and he's very adamant about that. We all know it. This is Tom Kiefer's band. Yeah, right. You know he is—he's our leader. You know that's yeah, who yeah, we yeah. we look to him, and and the guy gives a hundred and fifty percent every night, every night, even right. when he doesn't feel well, and it just inspires everybody to do the same thing. And I get that, man. Yeah, because when the person
0: up front that's leading the band is having a bad night or isn't into it, it affects me. I don't know how it is with you, but when they're on, it makes me want to like raise the
1: bar too. Oh, and that's the thing. I mean, he's, he's just like the rest of us. I mean, he's really, uh, he's really hypercritical about his performances, Mm -hmm. you know, and we'll come off the stage and, you know, it's, it's always, uh, even if some, even if it's not jiving, you know, if something's just weird, the mix might be weird or whatever, just when you, when you're backing him up, you can't help but just, give it all it doesn't matter you know what i mean and and he just he commands that it's yeah. without being a dictator i mean he's just it's inspiring really i mean and and the audience feeds off it you can see it everywhere we go we play it's you know it's that band you know it's it's a powerful group no doubt about it
0: i think it's it's really important that people recognize that when you're giving all on stage and and the audience picks up on it or, or they, they will pick up on it. No doubt. And, and tell me about like the process of, of, you say, he came in with some ideas. Was it in the studio? Was it uh, like an acoustic track and like, well,
1: here's the song, or oh, here's the idea? Great question. Yeah. Uh, because uh, this record, there are really no two songs that are the same. As far as, you can't really put this into one box there's going to be something for everybody on this. Okay. There's stylistically. There's kind of a Stones acoustic vibe that actually, w- when we tracked it, um, I flipped the head upside down and put it on top of the snare just to kind of get a fat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And just, it was real organic. And mm. we ended up using, I think, 90% of everything that was recorded in there um, organically. There was really, I think there might have been a guitar overdub or something on it um, and a, another vocal thing, but... Um, His main vocal, I think, mostly we used from that as well. Oh, Um, cool. Yeah, so, but that, yeah, as far as that, like Tom would come in with ideas. um, A lot of times they would be more developed ideas, or he might just have an idea for a verse in the chorus and not quite sure what he's going to do with the bridge yet. Um, But he would give it to us, and we would just kind of play with it. Yeah. And then the beauty about having the situation we had was we could go ahead and track it. Let's just practice. Let's see what happens Go and, and how it translates yes. uh, with everybody playing it um, and not really overthinking it. Just kind of let's get organic with it and play, right. and I'll try some different things. And uh, and we do that, and then we would just sit quietly and listen to it. And then everybody raises their head when it's done, and it's like, okay, let's discuss what we liked, what we didn't, you know uh, – So it was a great process. I mean, it was really cool. And I learned a lot of things from him, just watching him and how he works. And, uh, you know, this obviously this isn't a million-dollar budget, Mm -hmm. but he's had those. (laughs) You know what I mean? And it was kind of cool to get his perspective on how he enjoys this process a lot more. I mean, he was really having a good time. And we didn't have to have all the fancy catering coming in and all that kind of stuff. And it was a different era of recording. I mean, you absolutely. Know, so we were in the digital era. There was a lot of waste back then, man, let's put it that way. Yeah. A lot of waste. Yeah. You know, and you know, you're tracking a tape, which I love and prefer, you know, back then. And uh but there's a lot of the splicing that went on and he told me some stories that kind of blew my mind. Um Cozy Powell played on some of that Cinderella Are stuff. Oh, you serious? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um but he told me some stories about being in the studio and Splicing things to get kick drums in the right spots. Yeah, yeah I mean this crazy. is before Pro Tools and all that yeah, stuff. So yeah, it's amazing. But it's just I learned a lot just watching his process and how he's how he thinks and how he can kind of pull everybody in and uh, is is really inspiring. You know, it's got to be a just a crazy perspective to have
0: worked in that environment. And I think we're similar in age. That like the first time I ever recorded in a studio was to tape. Right. And then digital audio tape. And then all of a sudden the digital thing came through. So I feel like I, ended, I started in one format and made my way through. So right. I have an appreciation for the process. Right. My 14 year old who's learning logic now probably doesn't. Right. right. <laughs> but, but when he pays attention, I try and tell him stories. Uh, actually, funny story. So I went to the School of the Arts in high school and we performed the musical Cinderella. Which is about the story syndrome. Right, right. And so I was in the pit playing drums. And uh, it was just, it was a high school production of School of the Arts. And we all had t shirts made. And um, I'm in the grocery store and I had that t shirt on. And this guy goes, Hey, man. Cinderella, yeah. I'm like, what, what did you do? And I said, well, I played drums. He goes, You play drums with Cinderella? That's badass, man. I'm like, No, 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 no. Not no. the band, not the band. <laughs> That's great. That's great. <laughs> I was like, Yes, I was in Cinderella, the musical. What are you talking about? That's fantastic. And he's mate. like, no, I love Cinderella. I'm thinking, Oh, he means, okay, no, I'm like 17 years old. Right, I'm like, right. Bro, I'm not the right. drummer for Cinderella. Right. <laughs> That's just, funny. I just remember that. That's great. So, uh, tell me again. This, the, the, I know you guys went and listened to some mixes today, but it's
1: looking to come out. Yeah, we actually. I was in there. Uh, I went yesterday and uh, met with uh, Kyle and Tom. And uh, I was, I was going there to about an edit. There was one thing um, on one of the songs where I didn't feel like what I was playing was jiving with his vocal. Uh, and it was going to be a simple fix, you know, it was, it was, it was something real simple, but um, I ended up going and listening to it and it was, it, it the way Tom sang it, it actually worked great. So uh, we didn't even mess with it, but uh, the record is slated for release in August. That's definitely a, okay. that's what they're looking at. Um, I know that. You know, there's deadlines and all these kind of things, but we've been off this whole year, man, because it's we're we wanted to finish that. Tom's idea was to get it done, and he didn't want to be touring in the middle of trying to cut vocal tracks and all this stuff. He really wanted to, but we did the Monsters of Rock cruise. Mm-hmm. And that was the end of February, mm-hmm. and then, uh, but we've been off. So it, the focus has been the record. Uh, unfortunately we got back from the cruise and Tom got really ill. So he was down for a minute. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that kind of put everything off a little bit. Um, but we have, uh, I think there's two shows next month
0: Okay.
1: that are, that were some prior obligations from last year. I think they were already booked from last year. Mm-hmm. Um, but then July we're starting pre-production for the new tour, the new record. And as far as, what we're going to do, the new set and all that kind of stuff.
0: What's involved in something like that?
1: Like, Hey, sometimes, you know, it's a you're... week of rehearsal. Basically, we'll just lock out SIR and, mm-hmm. um, just kind of go over what we're going to do. I mean, we won't, we won't rehearse every night. Yeah. Tom's just not that he doesn't like to do that. Um, a lot of it will be just, you know, a lot of it's just kind of the hang, you know what I mean? Like, we'll just it's family. So oh, we're, yeah. we're getting together and we're talking about what's going on with everybody. And, that's it's cool. a little bit of that mixed in with like, well, hey, what do you think about this? And the cool thing is Tom, Tom will definitely come in with an idea of what he wants as far as like the set list to go and how he wants it to run transitions and, but he's always open to, I mean, once we'll run it down, he'll ask everybody. So how do you feel about that? Yeah. You know, and once again, that goes back to the, you know, he wants input from everyone else as well yeah. to kind of, cause you know, everybody has great ideas, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? It's. Uh, everybody's a part of it. So, but we'll lock out SIR for a week and we may rehearse, actually play the set. We may only play the set through eight times that whole time. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Maybe not even that, Yeah. you know, um, it's a solid band. Everybody's, you know, we, we all play, we've been playing because we've been off. Doesn't mean we're not playing. We all have other things that we're doing. Yeah, sure. Um, But uh, yeah, it would just be a week of lockout. And then we'll just kind of leave our gear set up in there, and just kind of go to and from as as we need, you know, kind of figure it out.
0: Drum world, are you set up any?
1: Are you doing anything different in your setup for Tom's gig? Uh, you know what, I did change something in the studio. I've always used, um, I'm I've mainly been a five piece guy, you know, two uh, two racks which a lot of guys are like one rack, two floors. That's just not me. I'm, mm-hmm. I, I use two racks, I and they've been smaller, like 10, 12, 16 is what I usually use. Gotcha. Okay. So in the studio, it just wasn't really translating for me. So uh, I, um, my buddy Jeff, who is also uh,
0: – Jeff Brown?
1: Yeah, also mm-hmm. my tech. Um, just one of the greatest humans I've ever met, man. He is? I love yeah. the guy. Yeah, he's he, he brought in a 13, because I don't have any 13s, man. I have more <laughs> yeah. drums than anyone needs to have, but I just never really used a 13. Um, and I thought, I, I want to try a 13. And he brought in a 13 and set it up on the kit, and it it just it sounded great. It worked. And uh, so I think, I'm thinking this year, I'm probably going to go 12, 13, 16. Oh, cool. 16. And I, uh, I use. I'm a Gretsch artist, so I've been with them since 07, But I've always played Gretsch. Uh, but I'm lucky enough to to represent that company, which is really. I'm grateful for that every day. Um, I love those drums. But uh, there's a snare builder, Jim Byer. Yeah. Uh, dear, dear, dear friend of mine. Uh, phenomenal. Drums, those snare drums. I've been using those for the last two years. Um, He's built me a few. And the one that I kind of landed on as my main is a four by 15.
0: Love it. It's just
1: amazing. Yes, please. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) But he's built me a six and a half by 14. I have a five and a half by 14. Um, And he was going to build me a 12. Uh, We were kind of going back and forth on the depth. Uh, But then he sent me a message i don't a few weeks ago uh i'm going to see him in a couple weeks i'm touring with damon johnson that's another thing yeah yeah uh he's bringing me a a new drum he put in quotations so <laughs> he said you know if you don't like it i'll make you something else but it's i don't know i'm not i'm not sure what it is but i i know it's going to be amazing cuz He's come up on this podcast before. Jim is, Jim is... What
0: is it about him? What is
1: it about his drums, you think? Can you put your finger on it? Can you... There are no frills, man. There's nothing... There's no vents. There's no... It, you know, it's 1.5 steel. You know, it's... There's nothing... Is he using different they're, alloys? They're beasts. He just beasts. He just builds steel drums. I guess he did a long time ago. I guess he built a couple brass drums, but... Yeah. Um, I don't know who has those or if they're even, I don't know if he sold those or did what, but he's kind of subtle on his thing and it works. I mean, it definitely, um, I've used them on the last few records I've done and I've been using them live um, ever since I was introduced to him through a mutual friend, Randy Walker, Okay. who's a great drummer out of um, Phoenix. Um, he's also drum tech for Jason Heartless with Ted Nugent.
0: Oh yeah. oh yeah, okay.
1: Yeah, nice. Great drummer. Yeah. Just a great guy. He made the connection with Jim. He kinda introduced us and Jim and I just hit it off. Been... Did you use the that those snare drums on Damon Johnson's I did. record? Okay. I did. I'd oh. used I used the five and a half by fourteen on every single track except for one. Gotcha. Yep.
0: Because I I
1: was listening to that new record. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And
0: you sound great, man. Thank you. you sound really Thank good. you. And and I can tell you, man. One of the first things the snare drum pops out. Yeah. But like like in a really refreshing way. Right. Not in just like and it's just it's got that frequency that that adds to the pocket in a, in a really nice but not obtrusive way.
1: It's a it's a drum that's it's practical, man. And I mean the way Jim describes it is he wanted that like '70s Coliseum drum that. You know, that he grew up listening to. Yeah. And he basically recreated that. I mean, it's just, it's such a great drum. And the the 4x15 is being used by a lot of people because it's such a versatile drum. I mean, it's a shallower drum, which I actually prefer when it comes to snare drums. I don't like deep snares. I just, it just doesn't feel right to me. Mm-hmm. Um, You're pushing more air to get the
0: snare side to respond. Right. And I think people are surprised. Oh, man, we talked about this. A couple times with some different people including like uh you know i know lonnie wilson i don't know if he still does but i mean he used this brass very shallow yamaha uh piccolo tuned down and it sounded incredible i have a world max 4x14 that
1: responds just beautifully yeah most of my drums i have quite a few snares that I would say ninety percent of them are five or five and a half. Yeah, me too. All of them. <laughs> I don't. I mean, I do have a. I do have. I only have one or two. I have one copper Gretch six and a half. And it's it's the older one that they stopped making because they're too soft. Me too. Yeah, and it's mine is dented up. Yeah, that's why they quit making them. That's I mean, so funny. Yeah, I, I still have that drum. Uh, it's at my buddy's studio, or I have a USA kit in his studio, and we just kind of track stuff this. there.
0: USA, I got a USA kit, a copper snare. That was my A drum for right.
1: years. Right, right. Um, I'm trying to remember whose
0: that was. Um, can we the, talk sh- about?
1: the shallower drums just respond better they to do. me. And I, I, and I can tune them down. I can get fat back snares yep. by by tuning you know i have a couple of wood ones that i'll tune down and, can get and that they sound. respond and it's interesting they
0: respond there's a feel thing and and i'm i'm really starting to find myself dialing into the way something feels as well as sounds yeah no feel is everything for me just everything sometimes just the the size of the ride cymbal the tuning of the bass drum yeah like like even beyond just how it sounds it's like well, this is kind of a shitty sounding bass drum, but man, I don't know why, but it just really feels good.
1: <laughs> well, no, and I look, I know plenty of guys that can sit down and play anything and play the hell out of it. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm just, I, I used to be more like that when I was younger, I think, because yeah. maybe I was just a little more oblivious to the whole situation. I like think, I yeah. just, you know, you just I could go. just sit down and play whatever and I would just beat the hell out of it. But as I got older, I just, you know, and I play traditional grip 99% of the time. Mm-hmm. And as you get older, you know, you start dealing with aches and pains and yep. you become a little more self-conscious and hyper aware of taking care of your body. And I don't want to, I'm not a hard hitter. So for me, it's like I'm tuning things a little, I, I kind of tune things up a little tighter mm, okay. to get that feel. A lot of playing is doubles, even in the rock stuff with Tom. I mean, there's a lot of finesse, yeah. you know, in this stuff. Yeah. Uh, and the Damon stuff is the same way, you yeah. know, which is a whole other the Damon thing is a little bit more improvisational. Like, uh, there's, I actually take solos in that stuff, you know, yeah. I like solo over vamps and stuff like yeah. that. But
0: I want to just mention again briefly Jeff Brown. Absolutely. So, uh, he's uh, was a guest early on in the podcast, and it was good to hang with him and get to know him over the last few years. And uh, another Californian. Yes. California native. Um, super talented musician, drummer. Uh, engineer as engineer, well. Engineer,
1: yeah. He's got a great ear.
0: Um, I want to, like, this whole idea of teching and kind of the importance, like, what is it about teching that's so important for someone like you who's doing some of these, you know, you guys got two shows next with uh, Kiefer Band right? next month. So, why have somebody like Jeff
1: out there great great question and I have a great short story about that um, I don't really post on social media my playing I'm just not that guy I mean there's plenty of other people that do that mm-hmm. um, but the first run that Jeff did with us uh, it was M3 Festival in Maryland at uh, the Mer- is it the Meriwether Pavilion great venue mm-hmm. um, Jeff came in I had my kit dialed in the way you know, I dial it in and he played it and got a feel for it and everything. And this festival's huge. I mean, there's thousands of people. It's a big deal. And he changed my heads. This is the first run. And, uh, he had them set up on the riser, getting ready to roll in. And like, I got up there and he's like, check them out, you know, make sure they're good. I hit everything. I didn't turn one drum key on anything. He had them perfectly dialed in. Mm-hmm. Um, Jeff just really – and then – so what I'm getting to is the post. I did post that night because he actually v- took some video mm-hmm. um, from that. It was like, I don't know, maybe a minute and a half snippet or something, just a groove thing. I think it was Don't Know What You Got Till It's Gone, um, one of the ballads. And I the post was more about Jeff and how important he has become to the whole – team and everything. I mean, just, and that was his first weekend, you know? And it was like, I posted it. It was more about him yeah. and, and how I finally felt like I've met somebody that has the same, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I mean, he's just, he's, he's as fanatic about it as I am the sound and, and making sure everything is right. And, uh, you know, that was just a, that was a cool thing for me, and it was more about this is more about Jeff than me because I don't post my playing, but yeah. I made a comment about this is you know he's dialed him in, and and it's just you know it's great to have him on board, but it's I mean it's crucial, and I trust him implicitly. Mm-hmm. Um, we're we're not on in ears, we're on wedges, so okay. he he has all my stuff set up the same every night and everything always feels great and he dials in my monitor i mean so basically i'll come to soundcheck which is usually like around 3 30 in the afternoon mm-hmm. you know um i'm an avid golfer tony yeah. and i are the golfers in the in the band yeah so clubs on the tour bus we get up in the morning have breakfast and we're golfing yeah so we get back we barely uber back in time to you know make <laughs> sound check at 3 30 it's usually at three thirty and I basically walk in sometimes still in my golf gear, you know, <laughs> so rock and roll man and yeah and <laughs> and Jeff has it dialed in every single night, and I mean it's he's but such an cons- accomplished player he's he just gets it, you know what I mean he yeah. just he understands it, and i'm I'm thankful to have that dude in, in my corner to be honest, so so there's consistency of
0: sound, absolutely that's required for the gig you know it just elevates the professionalism right of from the drum chair
1: right um great sense of humor yeah. <laughs> it's, it's it's crucial man yeah, I yeah. Mean, he's a great hang yeah no doubt i was born on the central coast of california in santa maria and i grew up on the beach pretty much as a kid mm-hmm. um central coast is a beautiful place very expensive but it was and it was a different time back then too man um california's changed so much um but i did i did i lived in the bay area for a while um i lived in la for a while i did that whole game but bakersfield is where i moved from uh to here okay yeah so um yeah i mean that's a lot of there's a, I mean, there's a lot of growth. I mean, I, I'm pretty thankful that I, I ended up in Bakersfield. That's about the best part of living there, um, was the musical connections that I actually made there, believe it or not. Cause there's not much else in that town, to be honest. Hmm. But, uh, it's got a rich history in music. Um, a lot of bands hmm. that come out of there, not just the country stuff, but that, that wet, West Coast country thing, Buck Owens, mm-hmm. Merle Haggard, the telly sound and all that. Um, you know, that's there's a lot of history there, um, but then you had bands like Corn that came from Bakersfield, mm-hmm. and I mean, it's just there's kind of the whole gamut, right? But I was introduced to some great music. Jazz is where that's where I kind of branched out and started going into that realm. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, it, it was it was pretty pretty cool to be involved in all those different musical projects. There's at one point I think I was in eight different bands. You know, playing everything from reggae, ska, you know, jazz, fusion, Mm -hmm. rock, everything. Yeah. Country. Uh so in that respect it was great. Um but I'm not from there. Okay. But but yeah, that's definitely I did live there for quite a few years so i i so we
0: mentioned before ben Hans connected us here mm-hmm. and i also asked him i was like any thoughts or ideas you might have that i can talk with jared about and of course he wrote his jazz roots his favorite jazz record or drummers right. records or drummers and your early experience in california and how you got started so kind of on this
1: thread here okay yeah uh well let's see uh if we're starting with jazz drummers yeah uh there's a handful, but i mean obviously buddy uh buddy rich, but i mean for me uh it was it was more the like Tony Williams really kind of changed everything mm-hmm. you know as he did for most people right um, and also uh from there uh, in i guess into the 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 later generation. Of uh, players that were really on fire to me Like Jeff Tan Watts Yeah Amazing Uh Um, How did you
0: discover Jeff?
1: Uh, I played with a keyboard player uh, Named Jaime Sevilla Fantastic keyboard player I think he's in China now Um, One of the first jazz fusion groups I played with Um, He really hipped me to a lot of stuff Like Kenny Garrett And you know Just like Miles And Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff um, and through him, he hit me to Kenny Kirkland and that just kind of that, that circle, Branford, Kenny and Jeff, you know? Yeah. Um, and that's kind of how I got into that whole thing. I mean, I, I, Jeff is definitely one of my favorites, no doubt about it. Mm-hmm. Just so aggressive. Um, but, uh, if, if I have to say my favorite jazz drummer, it's going to be Tony Williams. Yeah. No doubt about it. Nefertiti. That yeah. that record is yeah yeah <laughs> it's, so, it's a game changer. It, it,
0: uh, the reason I asked is my friend and I were talking about uh, Dream of the Blue Turtles. Oh yeah, first solo record. Yeah, and through that, getting to know Branford and diving into jazz in that that time, and then going down that rabbit hole, you know, pre-internet stuff. Oh yeah, yeah, and then discovering Jeff.
1: integral well, yeah,
0: you know, and then
1: and then seeing Branford live with Jeff. And, and that was just crazy. Well, yeah. I mean, and, uh, speaking of the dream of the Blue Turtles, I mean, I, I remember, I think the first Nam show I went to was maybe it was 87 or 88. And uh, my mom lived down in Southern California at the time. And I was down visiting because I had the badge and I was going to go drive down to Anaheim and do the whole thing. And mm-hmm. I was watching on VHS. My buddy, I think Jaime gave it to me, the the VHS of uh, Dream of the Blue Turtles, and I watched Omar play that yeah. solo on "I Burn for You," and I just lost my brain. And then I go to the Anaheim Convention Center, and that's the first cat I saw. <laughs> Man, it that's was Omar. And cool. I was Omar. Kind
0: of, I was just kind of like, "Oh, cool." I think that's called. I think it's called Bring On the Night. Bring On the Night. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I've Bring On the Night. Years. I
1: got Fantastic. Say yeah. I mean, w- which is basically the journey of that band, yeah. how they kind of came to be, which is. You know, it was really an, an incredible thing at the time. You know, my favorite quote from that from that 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 whole
0: I don't know documentary movie, whatever, Branford saying, uh, "Man, as I told Sting, I said, man, your music's a motherfucker.' motherfucker yeah, a <laughs> motherfucker. <laughs> my music. I don't think I've ever heard it called
1: that before. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have any uh, teachers during that time? Believe it or not, man, I never ever had drum lessons. Okay. Never i because you've
0: got technique man yeah
1: well i studied my ass off i studied by watching and i i I was that guy that emulated i've just watched something and i would just do it until i could kind of do it you know yeah um there was any friends well yeah well there was one guy in particular that i did (laughs) if if i was gonna say i took lessons it would be from this guy Um, his name is johnny snyder jr um fantastic drummer who I miss dearly, man. I haven't seen that guy in years. Uh, he moved to Florida, but he lived in Bakersfield and he, he was kind of the A guy in Bakersfield. Like he was the jazz fusion guy. Mm-hmm. And he ended up working with a friend of mine, Monty Byram, who went on the road with a band called New Frontier, mm-hmm. late eighties. And then I got the call to kind of replace Johnny with the, the fusion band, the big fusion band that was in Bakersfield. And then which was also the rhythm section to a horn band called Ain't No Thing. We did all the Tower of Power. Oh,
0: wow. It was great.
1: Yeah. So for me, it was like this kid getting thrown into this whole thing. I I was going to say, how old were you at that time? I was 16 or 17. Yeah. Yeah. Playing yeah. Power, power. yeah, and there, you know, it pissed a lot of the older guys off that were in town that felt like it they should have got. The, they, well, felt like they should have got the gig, <laughs> and, and you know, man, and that bothered me as a as a kid. It really did. I was really self conscious about it. And, and Johnny told me straight out of his mouth. He said, "Look, man, don't worry about it." He said, "You're the one that got the call. They didn't get the call. Show up and and just play, man. Do what you do." Yeah. And we should say that you started playing around six years old. Yeah, I I got my first kit when I was six. It was a Muppet kit, man, Muppet show. Mm -hmm. You know, like me, like many other kids at the time were influenced by, you know, seeing animal. And it was like it was just what kid doesn't want to beat the hell out of something? You know what I mean? It was Mm -hmm. just it was very. And my mom got tired of the pots and pans, just like you've heard that story a million times. Mm -hmm. The wooden spoons, she got mad because I was breaking them, and the pots and pans. So I got a little Muppet kit, and uh,
0: but even your technique was good with the pots and pans. Oh <laughs> shit.
1: my! My dad—they were divorced. My dad got me the uh, "Kiss Hotter Than Hell" <laughs> LP, which is so great because I remember putting that thing on and I'm beating the shit out of this kid. I'm just and "Parasite" comes on, uh, and I'm just playing with it. And I actually ended with the song. I stopped when it stopped. And I just remember sticking my arms in the air and kind of going, "Yeah, this is this is what I'm gonna do." And and that, and that was it. I mean, there was no turning back. Did at you all. tell
0: Gene Simmons the story?
1: I absolutely told Gene Simmons that story at Sir here in Nashville. Yeah, mm-hmm. yep. Which, uh, yeah, I mean, that that was painful to leave that gig, man, because that was a childhood dream kind of realized, you yeah. know. But I got the call for Tom, and I just felt like that was more suited to what I wanted to do. I want to make music. I want to create music and record. And I just didn't see that happening with Gene. I mean, I was very thankful for the the shows I got to play with him. Um, and, you know, to be a part of history is pretty cool. Like I'm I'm listed as I'm the first drummer he's ever had as a solo artist. You know, oh, that's I, I played cool. his first solo show ever. So oh, that's kind of cool. cool. Yeah. That's um, amazing. But interestingly enough, I took over Paul Simmons place in Tom Kiefer um, he has a, he has a gig at Blackbird here in town. He does all the all the the stuff there for drums, and he's it's a great gig. Um, mm-hmm. And he's such a fantastic drummer. Um, but he ended up kind of subbing the Gene gigs for me when I took over his gig. Mm-hmm. But it, then it started getting a little too busy, man. They were talking about going to South America and all this stuff, and he just mm-hmm. didn't want to do that anymore, man. And um, such a
0: big personality, though. I, I it would be interesting to. The dynamic, especially between that and, and Tom's gig, has got to be complete opposite.
1: It is. I mean, uh, there's a lot of misconceptions about Gene, man. I mean, when he first came in that first day at SIR, we were just going to be rehearsing just the guys. Yeah. And Gene, uh, Ryan Cook, who put this whole thing together, um, he told us, he's like, hey, man, Gene's going to stop by. You know, he's just going to kind of fill it out. Because Ryan already had already known him for for a bit. And uh, so Gene shows up, man, and he comes in, and he immediately starts ribbing everybody. Just, I mean, he's funny, man. He's quick, witty. Yeah. And I don't care what people say about the guy, man. I mean, a lot of he doesn't he doesn't do it for everybody, but you know that's why Baskin Robbins has 31 flavors. You know, we don't all like the same shit. Yeah, right. But uh, he came in and he was funny. We didn't play any Kiss stuff at all. He uh-huh. wanted to just play like old 60s r&b type stuff man and the cat can play bass he's a great bass player yeah but uh i think it was five hours later (laughs) (laughs) it's like almost 11 o'clock you know sir the guy comes in from from the from the counter and and he's like hey man you know uh what you know what do you what do you guys are you how much longer you gonna be and you know what's how are we doing this? And Gene's like, just put it on the kiss tab. He's like, I have money. <laughs> you know, he was just making little <laughs> jokes like that. But uh, he, you know, he when he finally said, yeah, well, guys, I think I'm going to take off. Um, Philip Shouse. Thank God. I mean, he he kind of looks around. And he says, I think we need to play Deuce right now <laughs> before you go anywhere. And we did. We played Deuce, and it was. You know, I think Ryan put it best by saying like his six year old self was kind of high fiving him, and that's what it was for me, man. I I, I can't imagine. It was it was unbelievable. And then we played Parasite, which is the first song I played, and yeah, it was surreal. You know, it was just surreal. But um, almost like it felt like it should have happened. You know what I mean? It just seemed like it was destined to in a way. You know? Yeah. Um, That's incredible, man. It was, man. It was it was amazing, and Gene was great. Totally great, and those guys, and you know, they're still playing with them. I mean, they're they're on. They're not doing anything now because Kiss is doing their farewell thing, so that would be kind of a conflict of interest. But uh, the guys are playing with Ace freely now, so they're backing him up, which is cool because I'm going to see them later this month. Uh, Damon's opening up for Ace. We're oh. playing with them in Oklahoma, I think. Have fun. So it'll be great. That's yeah, awesome. it'll be great. Well, we took a complete left turn on there. We're talking about we, California. I know and everything. <laughs>
0: Uh, but but it does tie in. There's some there's some connections there. How about going from California to Nashville? What 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 led you here?
1: You know, I just all the time touring. Um, there was a band that I played with in two thousand seven with Damon. That's how I met Damon Johnson. It was a band called Whiskey Falls. Yeah, um, and I got into that band through Seven. Williams and um, Walter Brant um, and and his brother, they were it was a new thing and uh, there was some there was some kind of a television show that was tied into the whole thing and they, those guys lived in L.A. and uh, I just it, through our musical connections we kind of got paired up with those guys and I did a bunch of uh, showcases and stuff with them before Damon was even in the band. Um, mm. but Buck Johnson was in the band at the time. He's with Aerosmith now. Okay. Um, but we did some shows together, and uh, then I didn't hear anything for a long time. And then Seven called me one day out of the blue, and he said, "Hey man, we're playing at the Crystal Palace, which is Buck Owens' place in, in Bakersfield." Right. Yeah. Right. Okay, that sounds familiar. Yes. Right. And uh, he said, "Hey man, we're 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 doing something down there. You want to just bring bring your Cajon down and play? You know." And I'm like, "Cool." So "We got a new guitar player." This is Whiskey Falls. Yeah. So, so Whiskey Falls. You know, there's kind of this thread of of, of heavier rock bands that you've been in, but Whiskey Falls is more of a country band. Yeah. I mean, I, I would I would say they're really akin to like the Eagles. It was like uh, there was emphasis on vocal harmonies. All the okay. guys. It was it was the four of them was basically Whiskey Falls, and then I was the hired guy. I played drums. Sure. And one of the guys played bass, just like Eagles and saying it was the same thing, mm-hmm. but. Um, So I get a call to come down, and this is months and months later. I get a call, and so I go down there, and I meet Damon, and we're just kind of we're we're talking, and you know he's from Alice Cooper's camp. You know he played with Alice Cooper. First time you met Damon? First time. Okay. Yeah, and he had played with John Waite and uh, written some things. I mean, the the guy's fantastic talent. Um, But we just kind of hit it off, man, and we do this gig and it, it's great it's grooving everything feels great and Damon's loving it and the night's over and they're getting on the tour bus or whatever and Damon told me this story later that they're like okay they're having their kind of their band meeting like hey these things are on the agenda they were doing a radio tour mm-hmm. and uh, he said and, blah, blah, and we got and we got to find a drummer you know because we're going to start touring do all this stuff and Damon's like we just played with our drummer I mean <laughs> that's the cat you know, he's yeah. the guy. So, and then just kind of, so I get a call from Seven. He's like, hey, would you want to do this? And, and it just kind of went from there, man. And then coming through Nashville constantly, right. um, I just made a lot of great relationships out here with players. And um, even, even right before that, I, I toured with Hannah McEwen, which is the Sons of the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band. They have a fantastic band. Oh, fantastic. Right. Okay. Um, Teddy Jack uh, was playing bass. Um, that's Leon Russell's kid. Wow. Um, Yeah. And uh, it was just one of those bands. And my buddy Jesse Siebenberg was the drummer. He's the son of Bob Siebenberg from Supertramp. So it was just like a son of band, and they were fantastic. Wow. But um, there was some conflict. Jesse couldn't do some dates, so I I filled in and did some dates with him. And uh, that's how I met Seth Roush. Mm. And he and I became real fast friends, man. It was – and that guy's just one of my favorite players on the planet, period. I mean, out of everybody. I mean, he's he's just one of my favorite – Um, And a good human. But anyway, I just, I met a lot of cats, Kent Slucher and all those guys. I mean, I just met them by being on the road and just kind of kept in touch. And uh, I just kind of knew that California was kind of coming to an end for me. It was just, I was kind of getting into a place where I just didn't, I wasn't really growing, you know. Um, And I just, I I wanted to change, you know. So it, this was a relocation. It wasn't. I didn't come out here to get some gig or do anything like that. I just I came out here to relocate, kind of get my head screwed back on, you know. And uh, it just that's kind of what led me here. I just I always loved it out here. It's quiet. People are cool. Yeah, but it's a very open environment. It man. is. I mean, it's getting a, it's getting a little it's getting a little crowded, it's
0: right? A little nuts, <laughs> yeah, but, get a little nuts. But I is. think that the general vibe is still holding
1: yeah you know in general and what year was that i moved here in 2000 was it 12 or 13 something yeah okay Uh, yeah so i mean i've only been here six years but uh it's been an incredible six years i mean a lot of things happened um i got thrown into the rock and roll residency yeah which was just supposed to be a month in april back in 2014 i think and uh Thirteen or fourteen, yeah. And my buddy Chuck Garrick plays bass for Alice Cooper. Um, he basically called me to come down and check it out because the original drummer that was going to do it was just going to be four dates in April. Um, so David Parks. David Parks. Sure. Yes, he was. He played the first two. I went down and checked it out, and he said he can't do the last two. He's like, "Would you be interested in doing this?" And I was like, "Hell yeah, this is great." Yeah. And uh, that's how I met Philip. Charles and and Jeremy Asbrock and uh it just ended up okay those two dates went by and it just okay well next week we're gonna do this and it just next thing you know it's like it's almost five years later you mm-hmm. know and, and we've we we put an into it in December was the last one we officially did mm-hmm. because it no longer became a residency we couldn't we couldn't maintain it every week because everybody's schedules mm-hmm. started getting crazy those guys with Gene Simmons
0: yeah so there, there's different events, like in Nashville in particular, and I'm sure there's cities that all kind of have this, but there's, you know, Tom Hurst's Loud Jams, which yeah. is like, yeah. was it the first Monday of each month? Um, and and there's, gosh, there was 12 at twelve, twelve 12th Porter. There's, there's Whiskey Jam. There's Bus Call. Those are just Nashville
1: events that happen. See, I wasn't even aware of those at all. Okay. I knew Tom, of course. Tom's, yeah. absolutely. I played a couple of those. Uh,
0: the, 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 some of these are old, been around for a while. Some of them are new. I think they're just ways to showcase different, uh, to different new new artists, new faces. Right. Night at the basement again. Now that I'm, i okay, I'm hip to that. These um, are all just Nashville things. But I think what's interesting about Tom's Loud and and the rock and roll residency was there was like a house band. There was like a a core of musicians. Then within that core, new people would come in. So let, I hate to use the word, but kind of celebrities or maybe veterans that we recognizable musicians and artists would come in and 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 um, kind of uh, pepper the dates from time to time. So the rock and roll residency was a perfect example, but uh, but it, you guys definitely were. You covered a genre
1: that oh, was absolutely. Well, the cool thing about that man is that um, save for the the recognizable. Stuff, I mean, it it was primarily, I'd say 80% of it, 75 to 80% was 70s, pretty much. Mm. And we'd go 60s, and every once in a while we'd do some 80s stuff, but it wasn't, I mean, it was was primarily like a 70s genre, 60s, 70s. Um, and it was all the deep cuts, man, that like you that you maybe haven't heard in 20 years. You're Mm -hmm. like, holy shit, they just played that song, you know what Mm -hmm. I mean? When's the last time you heard Razamanaz by Nazareth? You know what I mean it's like stuff like that, I mean, just really deep random cuts um and it was s- stuff that we put together every week. We' probably rotate through i'm not kidding you man i I, I would love to know this. I would l- love to figure it out, but we've probably rotated through about four to five hundred songs mm. um that are like super deep cuts, you yeah. know what I mean, like deep stuff um i'm drawing a blank right now but there's that time. <laughs> but that thing that the residency became something that was um I, it was definitely more than any of us i think ever realized it would become well you know
0: what, well see i know how the podcast for zach and myself has been beneficial in ways that are are hard to really quantify, but they have kind of opened up our world and our community in its in its the way it has. And and we we continue to enjoy the process and it's not a it's not a money thing. It's just it's it's just about an extension of what we do when to make money. Play and teach and all those other things it seems like the rock and roll residency was something like that as well. I mean, like a lot of these projects, these, these kind of passionate where you invest in this thing, not even considering if there's money involved, but like what, what, what am I getting out of this dedication that I'm putting into this project? And that seems like another type of that thing.
1: That's absolutely. uh, I mean, it, it basically, it, it encompassed a little bit of all that, but I mean, we, we were getting paid and it, I mean, it was, it was decent, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> you know what I mean? In, in that respect, I mean, yeah. it was, uh, getting, you know, to, to be able to play what we want to play, yeah. uh, you know, and it's, and I, I got to give it to, uh, John, uh, Bruton at, uh, at Mercy. I mean, that guy, he saw that vision and Mercy lounge. Here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because we started at, uh. Was Dan Guinness back then, yeah. right there on DeMombrian at the yeah. circle. And then it turned into Harp and Fiddle and then it was Tailgate. So we saw three different mm-hmm. venues there, and then there's all the people moving in and just complaining and noise ordinance and all this kind of shit. So it came to an end. But the cool thing is we it wasn't like, man, what are we gonna do now? It was like, well, where are we gonna go? You know, like and it was a no brainer. I mean mm-hmm the mercy lounge that's a great room man it's got a proper pa and you know a lot of people were bummed out because they felt like the 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 intimacy was lost as far as from like the dan mcginnis stage it was kind of on that back patio and it was more like a it almost felt like a house party you know what i mean like you're just kind of hanging out in here the guys are gonna play now mercy kind of turned it into a show i mean it was proper PA I mean I was thankful because I probably cracked five or six cymbals at at the Dan McGinnis location just because I was beating the shit out of them trying to compensate for the electric guitars and all that stuff and the drums weren't really mic'd properly you know they didn't have that kind of a PA yeah so I mean it, it had its vibe and we had some amazing musical moments there but for me when we went to Mercy it was night and day for me as yeah, for being sure. Being able to hear and there's parking. Just being able to, yeah, yeah, being able to hear and uh, it it feels great when I hit the kick and I can actually feel it and hear it at the same time instead yeah. of just like I'm wondering if I'm hitting my kick hard enough because I can't feel it back here in the corner. You know what I mean? And so in that respect, it was it was that. I mean, but it you know we it was a gig, but it was our gig. You know what I mean? Yeah. We were playing what we want to play, and that's what I was telling you earlier. I made a decision a long time ago, yeah, that I'm not going to play anything that doesn't fulfill me musically. It's not even about money. Mm-hmm. I mean, money comes and goes. you know i don't I, I learned to stop living my life in that pursuit of that a long time ago, because it's just it's fruitless, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not why I started playing drums in the first place, you know.
0: I think it's really important uh, not to cut you off, but I think it's really important that we never forget what it is that drew us to the instrument.
1: I know, yeah, I know. To
0: become rich, I mean, that's a joke. Like I got in the music business to to make money. Like go do something else. Then yeah, yeah. So, so (laughs) to lose that perspective can be sometimes easy to do when you have. When you have real adulting to do, like a mortgage. Exactly. And you, like I have kids and I have certain expenses that I have to consider that maybe some people without kids don't have to consider. But at the same time, to maintain a certain vision and integrity about what motivated you in the first place is something that I wanted to talk to you about. because. I wonder if there was anything that happened or has happened that got you to this place, this, pers- this healthy perspective.
1: Absolutely, man. I mean, and what it was for me was for, I, I don't know how, how many times that it actually had to happen, but the last time was enough for me where I'm driving to a gig and I'm going, I, I, I don't want to do this. I, I'm miserable. Why am I doing this shit gig that doesn't fulfill me musically? Mm-hmm. I, I guess I'm just doing it because I need to pay my light bill well i would rather and this i'm being 100% honest man i'm and i'm not knocking anybody else that does these other gigs man i mean mm-hmm. that's it's a choice man we all make choices yeah, yeah. and i'm in i'm no better for choosing not to do that you know what i mean but for me it yes. became a, a an issue of i don't want to be miserable anymore man i don't want to feel like a little piece of my soul flies away and it's never going to come back to do this gig it's not worth it to me i would rather go get a, another job and do something else yeah. and not take away from the craft that 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 I've you know that I've studied and and tried to become good at you know what I mean that's to me it just it just felt dishonest and if I'm not being honest you know firstly with myself you know if I'm not being honest with myself then it's not going to translate, and that's not fair to anybody else that I'm that I'm making that's music right. with or not right. make. You know what I mean? It's not just... only to yourself, but the people you're working with. And like I said, it's not a slight on anybody that does that, man. Because I have friends that are doing that, and they're buying houses and they're doing great and good for them. You know. But I'm... but to make the distinction
0: though, if you're going to maybe what you would consider like this is not the kind of gig that I want to be at I'm not having fun. I this is miserable to me. To somebody else it may be their their wheelhouse.
1: Absolutely.
0: And, and, and that's and, okay. <laughs> and, and 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 to be able to like I get to play music tonight and pay my bills and stuff like that, you know, and 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 with these people and this kind of music that for the next person maybe like that's totally not for me. Exactly, man. So I think it's just being honest with yourself. There's no, there's no like right or wrong. Gig. Not, not there's, at all. There's not no. At all. So, but just so everyone understands what you're saying, it's like what drives you, the end of the royal you, the individual, uh, whether it's. So I think my point is, No,
1: it's, either. and it's important to understand that, man. I mean, because we're all different, man. We, like yeah. you said, we feel different about different things, man. I know. And for me, it doesn't matter. I, it's none of my business how you feel about what you feel and why you're going to do this or not do it. It's none of my business mm-hmm. because I'm not you, you know, and I'm not, it's not going to make any difference at the end of the day anyway, man. But it's important to realize that we are all, all, all different. Yeah. And just because somebody doesn't do what you do doesn't mean they're they're downplaying it or making it a negative thing. It's just something that I choose not to do, and that's just me, man. I would rather go work a different job, you know, right. because that feels like work to me. Mm-hmm. To play something that I don't want to play feels like work, and yeah. I've done it too much, and it, it's it's not good. It's not a, it's not good for my headspace or me. Period. Yeah. So, you know. as an example, when, when we met for coffee last week,
0: uh, this I'm, I'm recalling that we discussed this a little bit. Uh, so just just as a brief example, you mentioned like playing broad, lower Broadway here in Nashville. You're like, that's not something I'm really interested in doing. Right. Yeah. And then from my perspective, it's it took me about a year to find the right musicians to work with there are some of those gigs that I really do enjoy. Right. Um, well, a- again, I, I, it took me a while to find it, but now when I go down there, I'm excited to play. And, great. and fight through the crowds and get right. my parking spot to play with these particular people. But I have certain parameters that I've set for myself that sure. if it's not this type of situation, then I'm going to say no. And that's okay. Uh, right. So And so that works for me, and it doesn't it wouldn't work for you. And there's probably things vice versa. Now I want to ask you, how do you, because there's so much pressure to
1: like, let people know that I'm working, I'm busy. I'm doing this. And that's all bullshit. You know, that that's a, that's a terrible, yeah, that sucks, man. And I hate, I hate when I, when I see that happening, when it's unfolding, you know, I I mean, I've been in situations where I know that's not the case, man, but this guy's, Leading it on, like, "Hey, man, I'm," you and, and it's like, and I know he's not, and it's like, and it's not, and I would just want to take him aside and go, "Dude, it's okay, man. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah. We're not. Th- this is, this is just one city out of many. I mean, there's, I know people in LA, in LA, it's. I feel like it's even worse because. Mm-hmm. Um, Do you feel like you've learned a lot, like being out the time you spend in LA
0: or out in California, like to kind of get a healthier perspective? on, on what it is that you
1: want to do? Like, how did, how did you come to this? Well, if we're going to be completely honest, man, which I believe in doing, I mean, it's (laughs) look, man, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of, uh, people that would, that want you to believe a lot more about what they're up to and and what they're doing and and the importance of, look, man, these are just gigs that we have and everybody needs to realize most of them are gonna to come to an end at some point, you know what I mean mm-hmm. uh, none of us are you know I, you know i'm not I'm not retiring next year. I'm not retiring the next ten years you know I just to me it's important to realize that we're all just humans, man. We're trying to just play music and we're trying to do what is good for us, you know? And, and some of us got to take care of families, like you said, and pay mortgages and you got to pay bills. You know, that's, that's just being an adult. But I think the worst thing for me, man, was finding that there was too much importance put on, on who you're playing with and what you're doing. And, oh man, you're not, you're not, you're not, you're not, on tour, so you're not valid, you know, and that mm-hmm. and that's just not that's that's not healthy, man. No. There's so many great players all over the planet, yes, that just maybe don't have all those opportunities, man. There's some kid in a garage somewhere that's grooving his ass off. I'm not talking about chops. I don't really care about any of that stuff. You know what I mean? Anybody can sit around and to quote <laughs> to quote Kevin Murphy, man, who <laughs> just One of the funniest things I've seen was he said that, you know, he was talking about, you know, he'll post videos of him playing. Yeah. And they'll be, you know, he'll post mistakes and all, which you got to respect the hell out of that. Because he says, you know, edited clips and all this kind of stuff is for charlatans and assholes, which is just, you know, it's just funny. But it's, it's a, I mean, it's a valid point, though why not put yourself out there, man? Like we're all, nobody plays perfectly. And why, why, why why would you want to? I mean, that's not, but I think there's just back to what I'm saying. There's too much emphasis on your stature, like your gig level. And it's just another gig, man. So what if this guy's making more money than you? It doesn't matter at the end of the day. I mean, we're all, it's about playing music, man. And, and being, and, and creating the art, you know, and and the craft, you know, it's and that's and that's what it basically comes to me, down to me at the end of the day is is just, man. I can find something good in everybody's playing to me. Like I'll get something out of everybody. You know what right, I mean? Right. Right. This guy may not, I, I may not dig his playing. You know, but not everybody digs my playing, and that's okay. I mean, it's okay to be individual, man. Just be who you are. Yeah. You know, and I, I know it sounds so stupid and cliche, but it's really the truth, man, at the end of the day. And as you get older, you're going to figure it out, yeah. you know, eventually. it's It really doesn't matter, man, because in my mind, as long as there's Vinny Kaliuta walking the earth, man, we're all just trying to get to that level anyway. You know, I mean, one can only – you can only imagine what goes to that guy's brain. I mean, yeah. everything he does, I dig it, you know, and it's yeah. like he's he's just kind of the quintessential player for me, man. Like that's – but I don't know. It, it is what it is. I mean, we're, we're all just trying to, we're trying to survive, man, and and do it the best way we know how. Most of us, I think, I would like to believe that. I,
0: I think that. Uh, <laughs> The bottom line is, I think that uh, you're in the majority
1: of that, and the drumming community is very supportive of that concept. Probably more so. I would hope so, man, because I've seen I've seen the negative stuff too, man. It's, yeah. no. it doesn't do any good to, to sit around and talk about this guy and this guy. And it doesn't. It's just not going to help anything, man. Yeah. It doesn't make you look any better. Yeah. yeah. You know, maybe with your buddies, but it's just not healthy.
0: No, I, I it's and it's a it's a healthier perspective. It, there's a certain amount of uh, peace that goes along with it, and then you can concentrate on just playing.
1: Absolutely, being
0: with the people that you want to be with, performing with them, and then concentrate on other things outside of music that uh, become a part of your life. Yeah, um, with you know, family, golf, right, all the other things. Well, um, I, I, I want to take a little bit of time to talk about Damon Johnson. Yes. Um. So his record, "Memoirs of an Uprising," came out just early March, this year, right? Is
1: that... Yes. It actually, okay. yeah, it, yeah, okay. it came out March. We recorded that. It was actually recorded early last year, um, but he's you know he's for the first time doing a solo artist thing. He, uh, you know, he's always been a side man. Mm-hmm. He had his band, Brother Kane. They had a little success and then from there he branched out and then he was with Alice Cooper and yeah. he got the Thin Lizzy gig and yeah. that turned into Black Star Riders right. which he just left um, to do He's kind of wants to focus on um, Damon Johnson and he wants to do his thing and be home with his family more you know because yeah. he's he's in Europe a ton you know he's overseas a lot and Black Star Riders because they just really couldn't get legs over here in the States you know it was harder for them to um. Anyway, I mean, it's just he's he's in Europe a lot, and it's just it. I, I think for him, man, he he just he wants to have a little bit more family time. He wants to have more time at home and be able to be creative on his. Sure. Basically, on his thing. I mean, it's it's something that he and I talked about years ago when we were in Whiskey Falls. Mm-hmm. I didn't get to that, but we were at Soundcheck. He and I would. We'd be playing Van Halen or something, you know, and it's we would always joke about hey, man, we'd put together like a power trio or something, you know, it'd be fun, <laughs> yeah. And we finally made that happen because he moved, he lived in Birmingham, um, and I lived in California. And you know, Whiskey Falls always we would always meet somewhere via airplane or whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, when I moved here, he moved here, and it just kind of everything just kind of lined up. And we I should know, say
0: that Whiskey Falls had some success, I mean, yeah, true... absolutely,
1: yeah. I mean, we we did quite a bit of stuff. I say we, I mean, I was the drummer, but, um, you know, it, the, the band just, they were
0: recognized early on as just like an up and coming, but one yeah, of the best up and coming.
1: Yeah. Group. I just, I think a lot of it, I, I just, I think the business thing got to, to a couple of the guys. They just didn't really know how to navigate the Nashville, mm. um, world. Yeah. You know, you got to give a little to get some, you know, mm. and I, you know, I, I don't think they wanted to give up any of the songs and, and publishing and all that kind of stuff. And it, so it was just, they were kind of rubbing things the wrong way. And it just didn't work out. But, gotcha. you know, I can't take away the relationships that I met by being involved with that sure. with that group. And Damon is absolutely yeah the, the pinnacle of that. And Buck. I've done some things with Buck Johnson as well and his solo stuff. Okay. Um, but Damon, the record is great. Uh, it, yeah, it dropped March officially. Um, and we got a whole slew of dates coming up this month. We start, we're opening for the Winery Dogs. Oh, that's cool. Quite a few cool. dates. I think I think it's like eight dates, nine dates or something. And then we're doing some Damon dates, just us, uh-huh. kind of interspersed yeah. in, in there. But um, yeah, it's kind of cool. Like so he,
0: he produced this record. He did. Um, uh, what was that recording process like? And was there a lot of input from him?
1: Uh, yeah, what? Yes. And you know what? Uh, I I was, I had a lot of liberty on this record myself. The record's called "Memoirs of an Uprising," by the mm-hmm. way, um, which so is you, kind you of
0: channel a lot of Liberty DeVito. Is that what you're saying? Yeah.
1: Talking? Well, yeah. Funny, uh, Lib Lib and uh, and Damon are pretty good buddies. Oh, really? Yeah. And, and Lib was pretty stoked on the record. He dug it. That's awesome. So that's yeah, that's funny. That's I'm a, a huge fan, yeah, man. Yeah. No, he's great. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Those. Yeah. Anyway, we get on that whole Billy Joel thing, but. Um, the process we recorded it at uh Rock Falcon, Nick Rascal place, yeah. The old one, not the newer one that he, I guess, he relocated down to uh, he's down off of Music Square, I think, now. Okay, if I'm not mistaken. I, I, like I said, I've been uh, kind of my understanding is he it used to be at Dark Horse, like that other connection oh, okay. over there, okay, way out there in the middle of nowhere, yeah. But uh, that's where we did Damon's EP, and Nick was actually more hands on on that EP, like we did, like we sat around, and Nick really produced it oh. nick produced that okay
0: so so just uh, i i didn't know if he was involved in this that you were in but that was one of the things that i wanted to see how much he was involved so Linux? Nick Raskolnikov. yes. so I was trying to pronounce that last name. So God, that dude's a
1: legend. I mean, he's... It, it,
0: people know me. I'm a huge Rush fan, and yeah. it's like know that Nick came in and started with Snakes and Arrows, and then right. continued on some other things. There's a cool story I'll tell you when we're okay. Oh. <laughs> well, um, so so Nick, uh, producer uh, Rush, of course, Foo Fighters, Poof, yep. F and Essence, um Marilyn Manson, Deftones, Danzig, Corn, Velvet Revolver uh mastodon shadows fall
1: Alice in Chains and I, okay yeah yeah that's right Alice yeah. and
0: Chains in Chains and Russia right. there was a huge list uh that I kind of narrowed it down to some some names that I that yeah I recognize more but still
1: he did the well we did echo which was the EP Damon Johnson EP that was a few years ago and Nick was much more hands-on um he was we actually set up at the studio and we played through stuff, and he literally produced. Do this, check. Try this idea. Do this, and it came out really well.
0: And, and how do you respond? I mean, like, okay, I know who this guy is. I know what he's done. But how? How does? How do you, as an individual, as a drummer, as you know, years of
1: experience, keep your kind of ego in check? Is that it, my ego's? My ego's in my car. When I shut the door, (laughs) seriously, man, I no, I go in, (laughs) I I go into every project with a complete open mind. It doesn't have to be Nick. No, it could could be be anybody. It doesn't matter. And and that's another thing that's really important, man, is like, you need to, you need to understand that like people have great ideas. It can't, you can't, it just can't be all internal. You know what I mean? Yeah, sure. And I think you at least owe it to everyone that brings an idea to the table to, you need to at least try it. Play, play the idea. It's okay, let's try let's try and play the verse this way. Mm-hmm. Just do it. Maybe it's gonna sound great. But yeah. if you're if you're like, nah, I don't wanna do that, then you're just kind of an asshole, man. That's right. just not right. No room for growth. No, man. And especially with Nick, I mean, just with the respect factor too. I mean, I was really excited to hear the ideas that he was gonna feed me. Yeah. And what was cool was I got to use um I used a Slingerland kick, twenty four kick that uh, was used on some of the Foo Fighters stuff that actually was part of a sling-on kit that Dave Grohl used with Queens of the Stone Age when he was out with them. Uh, so it was kind of... It was cool. You know what I mean? That was a cool experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the kick drum sounded amazing. But anyway, um, yeah, he sat around and kind of gave his ideas. Try this. Play this pattern. And it worked, man. And when it didn't, like he was like, cool. Then that's not going to work. But Nick is just one of those weird cats, man. That can just he hears it and knows. He just knows mm-hmm. what's going to work and what doesn't. Obviously, and he has a track record. Right, but right. Uh, the second record, Memoirs, um, Nick wasn't Nick wasn't there for the recording. Yeah, um, Nathan was there. His his I, I guess I would call him his first assistant or whatever. Okay, great, great guy. Um, he tracked everything, and uh, I believe. He might have done some of the earlier mixes, too. I think Nick ended up mixing the record. Um, In the end. But it was a longer process on that uh-huh. one. Like, we tracked it a long time ago, and it was just one of those things, like, Damon had obligations to fulfill, and, you know, and Damon was doing this on his own dime, and it, it just, things were a little bit, it was a little bit different, you know what I mean? He had other things. That it wasn't able to, to crank out as quickly as yeah. he wanted to, you know? And it
0: sounds like it's something a little bit more uh, commonplace the way kind of it feels like the music industry is really in flux right now like the the, the big labels are kind of going away uh, studios uh, are spread
1: out amongst the big studios and home studios and- more people are doing it this way they're they're just producing it in their own homes or yeah. whatever you know I mean uh, yeah. there's records that are coming out of people's living rooms literally right. right.
0: This episode is brought to you by DrumSellers.com, the niche marketplace where drummers, drum retailers, and drum manufacturers buy and sell their gear. List your drums for sale for free, and the only fee is 4% if it sells. Simple. Check out all the new used vintage and custom drum eye candy at DrumSellers.com.
1: I mentioned Tom being the greatest frontman I've ever played with it's hard for me to think of Damon that way because it's just because like, we're more like brothers but mm-hmm. Damon's it's the same thing and Damon is uh, very much about the creative aspect you know what I mean I, like I said I had all the liberty I wanted to on this on on his record you know he trusts me to you know do what I want to do I mean he'll have suggestions absolutely mm-hmm. but he never said, "No, nah, dude, don't play that. Don't do that." Or you know, and it's mm. it's not like I'm shitting all over stuff anyway. I'm and this music just doesn't call for that. Yeah, but live, it's a different translation too, man. Like we we blow a little bit live. Oh, okay. Like I was saying, there's like there's a vamp all solo over, which is kind of cool. It's in three, oh, just fun. fun stuff, man. I mean, it's it's not just a typical rock gig, and there's mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of nuance and uh, dynamics, and mm-hmm. he's real he's real keenly aware of that stuff, man. That's awesome. So. Yeah, it's it's great. And it's probably opening for Winery Dogs. Convenient. Yeah, opening for Winery Dogs, which uh, I'm a huge Ritchie Kotzen fan, man. He's pretty amazing. Um, I saw him on the Monsters of Rock cruise. It was just Richie Kotzen doing his thing. It wasn't Winery Dogs. Okay. But Ritchie's just, that That's guy's insane. on a different plane, man. Great, great player. Great singer. Fantastic.
0: I want to ask you about golf. Okay. So, you know Damon Johnson, golfer. He's a golfer. Uh, Alice Cooper. Yeah, known golfer. Yeah. Uh, w-
1: w- what's the deal, man? What's what's going on? <laughs> I'm telling you what, man. It's uh, it's crazy because when I'm not when I'm not playing my drums, I want to be swinging my clubs. I want to be swinging the other sticks, as I call it. Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah. And golf is just something, man. It's just kind of my. It's incredibly difficult. That game. I mean, mm-hmm. it gets people like golf, man. That's not a man sport or whatever. It's like just because it's not contact and you're not beating the hell out of each other. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's, it's, there's a lot of critical thinking. Mm. There's a lot of patience involved. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's tough, man. And it's, if you play the game the way it's supposed to be played, you know, mm-hmm. you call the penalties and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it's, you know, but for me, it's, it's getting outside vitamin D. You know, yeah. some sunshine, oh, dear God, yes. some nature, and it's not sitting on a tour bus, man. I mean, Tony Higby, the other guitar player in uh Tom Kiefer band, he and I are the only two that golf. Mm-hmm. So, but that's like the main thing. It's like we're almost more concerned about our clubs getting on the bus than <laughs> than making sure the gears in the trailer because we have techs that do that. But it's still, it's like I don't think that even worry about that because those guys are, you know, I mean, but it's like. You got your clubs, right? You didn't you didn't leave home without your clubs, right? So But you, you know
0: when you're on a tour and you got I mean lots of downtime, you the, you got to keep yourself mentally healthy as and and physically healthy. Absolutely. And and stepping away from the smell of the diesel and the, and, and, and the tour
1: bus and the, yeah. the venue. I can't and... sit on a bus all day. I can't do it. No, no, no. no. That's, because, that's you great. know, touring is a lot of sitting around and waiting, man. It's People think waiting, it's just waiting, waiting, glamorous or, or really. And yeah. look, it's fun to be out on the road. I love traveling, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. But you know how it is. You'll wake up, and it's breakfast time, man. You go find breakfast. Then it's like, okay, well, we don't have soundcheck until 3 o'clock. And then we don't play it till eight or nine o'clock. I mean it's just they don't even want you on stage. your like, days yeah. are just consumed with nothingness if you choose to to do it that way and I just choose not to man and
0: no i I know people that did and they're just they were just getting burned out and man i I mean I'm not a golfer, but you know i'd If we're in new towns, you know, I definitely walk and, and, and take that time to be by myself right? and, uh, definitely let my bandmates know it's like, look, Hey, don't take this personally, but I'll see you at sound check. I go find a gym, go
1: rent a bike. Yes. Be outdoors. That's something that I'm actually going to look into doing this next tour is, um, taking a bike out as well. You know what I mean? Because, uh, we don't always get a chance to play golf because sometimes there might be a time constraint. Like we might pull in a little later. And maybe there's no golf course close that we're going to get to and get back in time. Yeah. Um, but I, I think a bike. Uh, Billy Mercer took a bike out last tour, and uh, that was really good for his head. I know. Um, it, it just for all all the things listed above. Well, let me ask you: like, do
0: are you able to draw any parallels between drumming and golfing? Uh,
1: you know what? That's an interesting question. I've I never really thought about it, but I mean, it's definitely. Uh, I would say I would say yes in the sense that I mean it's there's a lot there there is some uh not while I'm playing drums per se not, not while I'm in the middle of a show. I don't want to be thinking about the show while I'm playing i should I should be just playing organically and letting everything kind of flow if you're if you're still critically thinking about the show, mm-hmm. then that means you probably haven't haven't had enough reps yet for the year, maybe you're just starting out. I mean it's always at the beginning you're still kind of thinking a little bit making sure you got the segs right and all that stuff. But Mm -hmm. you know, everything we're doing on stage, there's, there's no rolling SPD up there. There's not, there's none of that. We're, um, and that, I mean, that's cool that, like I said, that goes back to the, that works for some of those gigs and it's keeping everybody on ears and doing everything, keeping that whole thing trucking along. And it I may get not it.
0: be your thing, but the, but
1: the, no, but I had to do it.
0: working with there
1: say, I like, did. we it. need you to do this. We need you to trigger. Yeah. I've done it. With, I've done ahead. it with bands as well, yeah, but Tom's like, Tom doesn't want any kind of, I have my little, I have my little phone on the, on the, uh, on the rack and I run, uh, the tempo app. On a couple of the songs, the ballads, I'll just have in my ear Mm -hmm. just to kind of keep everybody honest, man, because you don't want those things getting carried away. Mm -hmm. But I have that there for my reference, you know, just to start songs and do all that kind of stuff. But no one's hearing a click because we're all all on wedges. So, Um, But I think as far as golf, I mean, for me, I, I don't know that I could draw any parallels other than the fact that I mean, I've spent a lot of time on trying to become a better golfer. too. I'm, I'm a, I'm a single digit handicap, which is cool. Um, I don't know if you even know I what that know is, what but is. My eyes are glazing. <laughs> There's a handicap system, man. It's like, I, you know, right now I'm a 7.6 and, uh, that's, that's okay. I you mean, could i be I, making all of this up right nah, now. I know <laughs> exactly. But, uh, yeah, no, I've, I've just, you know, it's something that I've, I, I, I take it seriously, man. I yeah. don't, I don't drink beer while I'm playing golf. I don't. You know, I got buddies that do that. They're like, "Hey, you want a beer?" No, you know, after the round. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, when I'm playing, and, you know, it's like I'm not drinking while I'm playing on stage either. Right. You know what I mean? It's right. like so. I guess in those terms, I mean, well, I take it seriously, man. I mean, and I enjoy it, and it's something that I want to excel at. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, it's not just it's not just hitting a ball around for me. Like I'm really trying to become a better golfer right. and get better at it, and. I, I, I've, I've always done that with drumming. It's the same thing, you know. I've it sounds worked. like it's a, it may, there's just like a part of your
0: personality that like I'm going to do something. I'm going to figure it out, and I'm going to do the best I can. Right. At it. right. So it's it was drumming for you younger, and and it's like there's a new way to ex, you know exercise that part of your uh, personality in 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 golfing. In talking with um, Steve Sinatra uh, a couple weeks ago, uh-huh. um, great he, player yeah he he talked about this idea of um, finding something outside of music, outside of drumming uh, and developing a skill yeah not just doing something outside of music or uh, like a hobby, but actually diving into something uh, and getting good at it and focusing your energy to give yourself kind of a respite from the music and this things, and how I couldn't agree more. Sometimes it can make you a better musician, a absolutely, better, more aware of your limits, limitations or or, or or lack of limitations that I think we impose falsely upon ourselves as musicians, uh, uh, especially when we're trying to get better every day and we're right. trying to find time to practice. We're trying to listen more and like. Balance all those things in life, and it just music becomes uh, again like a chore and becomes it becomes work, and right? It's like, right, and you start to resent those things. And it's like when you step away and again, fully step away by concentrating on something that requires skill and development. And it just—it just seems to me uh, that golfing is a is a really great, even though it's not something that I'm interested in. But it seems like a perfect example of
1: something that you can dive into. That's a great perspective, man. i, I mean, that makes me think about it a little more critical too. I mean, that's yeah. that's very cool. I—I yeah. I dig that. Uh, I hope it doesn't ruin your game. <laughs> no, because actually, I mean, it's golf requires precision, and I mean, you have to execute shots, man. I mean, there's there's distances. To, to the flag stick, you know, and, the, and that's basically what you're playing from tee to green, mm-hmm. and you're using different clubs that give you different distances yeah. to get there. So you have to calculate it, and knowing what you hit certain clubs, I mean, it's there's definitely thought, and I mean, there's absolute skill required. I mean, to say that there's not is ridiculous. I just,
0: I just, I I, I can only guess, and again, not being a golfer, but I'm like, there's some, I, I just from what you're saying, I mean, I think with, with, with drumming too, I mean, there's, there's, there's just different approaches. It's not all bashing. It's there is technique involved. Right. There's concentration. I mean, you know, from the from the count off to the transitions to the end of the song is yeah. your T to green. And you're you you're, there's times when uh, say there's a like a complicated fill or transition that I'm that I on a song that I'm not quite comfortable with yet. I can play I finally got it down in the practice room but am I going to be able to do it on stage and I've learned to kind of like anticipate that breathe and relax I do uh, I do yoga pretty sta- uh, That's regularly great. so that has taught me that there might be something for me personally that I've kind of tried to develop in the last couple of years right. and gotten better at and what has helped me with in respects to drumming is relaxing and breathing Without losing the energy, right? Like it's it, and I imagine that with golf, it's you're concentrating, but it still requires a physical execution. That uh, it's not, um, you know, there there is something that's calculated, that's more subtle, right? You know, but doesn't lose the energy, right? You know, I don't know. It's just there's there's lots of uh, musicians that. Uh, I've, I've met that that golf is a really big
1: well no it's definitely i mean it's something that i've i've chosen to spend a little bit more time in and versus i mean growing up it was always music 24 hours a day for me like i was constantly practicing all the time and it just got to the point where i guess as i've gotten older it's still important to maintain you know you have to maintain your your skill mm-hmm I just, there's not as much of an emphasis on it. I'm not playing music that, I'm not reading charts. You know what I mean? I'm not transcribing um, Vinnie parts or anything like that. I'm not doing anything that requires me to, to. But you
0: did a lot of that when you were younger? I did a lot so of that. that. I played so that, in
1: a, I didn't get into that in Bakersfield. There's also, there's a band I played with called Mother Funk Conspiracy. Mm-hmm, I saw it. Um And Dennis Ham, the keyboard player, organ player, He's actually on the road with Thundercat, um, and he's been on. Uh, he's written with uh, Simon Phillips. He's on the latest oh, Protocol. Wow. Um, and uh, he's he's a badass. He's one of the most gifted musicians that I've ever met in my life. And he's he moved to L.A. years ago and just played the game and lit it up. You know what I mean? Like he broke into the ranks, and he's playing with everybody everybody and i mean he's doing what he wants to do and i mean it's but we had a band called Motherfunk conspiracy that was more funk fusion you know based on a lot of improv i mean we'd have a head mm-hmm. section and a a b section and the rest you know it's just basically on a lot of jazz um, philosophy you know it's a lot of improv but a little more structured but
0: but it sounds like that experience early on prepares you for these things, like the improv
1: section with Damon Johnson. Right? Yeah, it's no, like absolutely. That. I mean, that that whole the, the jazz exercising background, exercising the technique, and yeah. playing traditional. But and I've always it. approached it that way too, man. I mean, it's not. I'm not really a basher per se. I mean, I don't. I don't really play that hard. Um, but I've always tried to be sensitive to the music, even when you, even when you're trying to put a little umph into it. I mean, you can still be sensitive to the need mm-hmm. of the music, you mm-hmm. know, and. I've just kind of always approached it that way. But, you know, like I said, I'm not I'm not really playing anything that requires me to sit down and practice hours and hours and hours to try and execute. You know what I mean? I'm just trying to ma- make things feel great and groove and make it feel yeah. good. You know, I'm not playing a lot of improvisational stuff, which I just hung out with Matt the other day, Billingsley, and oh, yeah. we were talking about... Um, you know, playing straight ahead again. Cause he played straight ahead in college and, mm-hmm. yeah, and I've been wanting to bring out the Bob kit and just do that just to kind of see where my head is these days, yeah, you know? It's been a long time. Um, but that's something that I've always loved to do, yeah. you know? And every once in a while I'll go back and listen to bootleg stuff that I have. And I mentioned Kenny Garrett earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, the first time I met Ronald Bruner, junior, um, great, great drummer. Um, he, uh, he was playing with Kenny Garrett. I think he was 19. Good Lord. And he just came in and lit the place up. But we recorded all those things. And it's like, I, I'll go back and find stuff. And I'll just get inspired. I'll go through my stuff and pull something out from 25 years ago. <laughs> Set your goals, man. You do what you want to do. You know, mm-hmm. it's I live... A, a way that allows me to pick and choose what I want to do. You That's know what I mean? Nice. I don't, you know what I mean? I don't have, I'm not, I don't, I don't have a big car payment. I don't have a big house payment. I mean, these are choices that I've made, you know, right. just so cho- important to consider, you know, yeah. I, I. but I, I have a, I have a great spot. You know what I mean? My girlfriend is in, she's an interior designer painter and she makes our place amazing. You know what I mean? I come home to a nice, comfortable place and it's like, I feel good about my choices. You know what I mean. I don't need a fancy car and all that stuff, but some people do, and that's cool too. Right. Man. I just not. I'm just in a situation where I can I can choose what I want to do, man, and that is that is a great place to be in, man. I, I feel I feel good about it. You know. Yeah. I feel great about it. Yeah. You know. Well, this has been great, man. I appreciate, I appreciate it. it. Yeah. Thanks. Thank Jared. you, brother. Yeah. man. So there
0: you have it. My conversation with Jared Pope. Uh, he is in a genre. That I'm not as familiar with, but it was, again, every time I have a a guest that I have an opportunity to dig into and find out more about the world that they work within, I learn so much and I discover things that I really love. And it's kind of the fun thing about doing this. Of course, you don't need a podcast or be a host of a podcast to do this. Uh, Just there's so much out there for us to explore and grow from. Um, I just have, I feel like I have a really good excuse to do it. But I, uh, thanks to Ben Hans again for connecting me with Jared. And I really enjoy talking with him. And um, he's such a great player and a, and a great dude. Uh, stay tuned next week for Zach Albeda's interview. And as was mentioned before, on Patreon, we are offering some new bonus material a couple times each month from past guests. Uh, we started out with a uh, great five-page thing on how to practice from our former guest Ben Caesar, and it's just it's a great resource. So I'm hoping to uh, incentivize you all to join our community and to use the educational material that Zach and I are putting together for you, and um, to also support what we are doing here. Uh, We'd much rather find the support from our listeners and our community than uh, from other sources. So again, we thank you so much for listening, and uh, please stay in touch, and I hope to see you around. Bye-bye.